Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Yes, yes, y'all. This is your boy, Kale. Hey, everybody. This is Claremont II. My name is Mac Davis. What up, what up? This is Boy Wonder. This is August Regal. This is Jade Ang. You're not rocking with your man, Tona Tancredi. Hey, what up, everybody? It's your boy, Pluto. Hey, what's good? This is Little Sims. What's happening, y'all? This is Dame Fonte. You're listening to The Come Up Show. Get inspired. It's the Come Up Show. This is the show that you come up on. Yeah. This is the spot that you come up strong. You heard? Zika's Chetto gonna play that song. Yeah. Hey, welcome to the Come Up come Show up podcast. Show. My name is Chetto, and my guest today is Chris Martin, the founder of Post Office, which is a music and creative audio production house recording facility. They're located in Liberty Village, Toronto, and they specialize in post-audio recording, design, mixing, engineer, composition. They score commercials uh, for uh, TV shows, film, gaming, radio, interactive. They've worked with the Toronto Raptors, Ford, Sapporo Beer, uh, Viceland, Shoppers Drug Mart, and so much more. But I'm not interviewing Chris today because of their corporate work and how exciting it is. I'm excited to have him on the Come Up Show today because I feel that Post Office has become a community hub for Toronto artists, the arts and culture scene here, and artists like Tona, Rich Kid, K.O., Michael Christmas, uh, and a lot of artists who come into town also stop by Post Office, like Chance the Rapper, Boy Wanda also has worked there. And we talked about uh, his journey, Chris Martin's journey as a creative, the bumps that he had when he first wanted to open up Post Office, why community is important to him, and so much more on the Come Up Show podcast. Let's go! Hello, everybody. Uh, this is Chris Martin from the Post Office. I'm happy to be here. Are you from Toronto? I grew up in Hamilton, actually. Hamilton, Ontario, still yeah. city? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, where did I, the journey start? Did you go to school for, uh, like, high school, then you went to school for audio? Or not not even, actually. Like, yeah. I, I grew up making music just for fun. As soon as DAWs were out, like, old things like Reason and stuff like okay. that. As soon as that stuff came out, like, I was on it and... I was was just interested in music from the get-go, so I started messing around and making weird sounds, and then I got into, like, starting to make hip-hop beats, and then uh, I graduated high school, and I went off and I did graphic design for a bit. I went to school for that, didn't like it at all, moved from there, um, started using my communication skills. When I was younger, I used to organize a lot of parties and stuff like that, and so I thought PR was a good networking kind of based industry that I could kind of be myself in and work with brands. So I went to school with PR. I paid a lot of my tuition by selling like mixtape beats and stuff like that. I was working with like guys back in the day, like out of basements, so old guys like um, like Plus Mo and Golden so yeah. Child I want to hear more about guys. this selling mixtape. So what year period are we in right now? Like what type of mixtape beats is, is this? Like what 20, 2009, 10, yeah, seven? like fifteen, sixteen years ago. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. so we, yeah, just like chop and mix and like MPC stuff and <laughs> and a lot of work in like Reason and old old Cubase stuff and and in terms of beats, what what was the sound of these beats? Who would you model after? Like, what was the sound like of these beats that you're making? I was, I mean, it was probably kind of a lot young, of influence. Yeah. I was big yeah. into like Jazzmatazz, like okay. Tribe, and all that stuff. Okay. But I, I was also like really feeling like Fifty Cent when he was kind of coming oh, into yeah. play and and uh, the Chronic and all that was around. So it was like it was kind of like a mismatch of like old world hip hop that I grew up on, like Wu Tang and all that stuff. I used to love like the Dream Warriors and Talib Kweli and mm-hmm. like all that stuff. So um, you were making kind of backpack like rap style, ish, or? but oh. ish. But then okay. I like I started focusing on like you know I wanted to like make stuff that could be like you know banging in the club too. So I started like when Fifty stuff started dropping when in the club, drop basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Because that changed the game, right? Yeah. So yeah. I started getting into like bigger pads and synths and started like not playing with samples and stuff like that as much started mm-hmm. trying to compose more and I got a MIDI keyboard and was trying to program my own stuff and um, like yeah creating sounds myself um, as opposed to like pinching uh, from other things so I was just doing this for fun I kind of like you know made enough money to pay my tuition and stuff like that with it um, we put like a, a friend of ours plus Mo through the soul search and uh, and another guy named Slinky B and and Golden Child and those guys ended up winning like the Soul Search back in the day, like while we were recording in the basement of uh, our homie uh, our homie Will Morgan's mm-hmm. place over on like College down the street from. Mod so Club. what is what was Soul Search again? 
Flow Flow ninety three five did like a like a contest. Yeah, it was okay. like a contest for like urban artists like that were local, and like if they won, they got to like do a track with somebody, uh, and and like their stuff would get picked up, and they got a recording session and stuff comp by Flow and stuff like that. Okay, and and they, and their track got played on the radio and stuff like that. So yeah, we we work with those guys and we were recording stuff in the basement. We ended up winning that, and then you know that was just during college, messing around, throwing parties, having fun. Um, and then I got out, I got a job in a PR firm, <laughs> started putting on like my tie every day, going into work, doing nine to five. And why did you want to get a PR that time? Is it the, the bills weren't being paid? You weren't like, what oh, music was, it? was just yeah. like a hobby. I didn't even yeah. think I could like, you know, I, I paid my tuition with it, but that was about it. I didn't think okay. of it as like a job or any kind of, I didn't think that I had any sort of longevity. Yeah. It was just literally a hobby. Um, that was like something I would do after work or on my spare time to kind of like let off stress and like you know just zone in and be creative for a bit got out of school started working a pr firm worked my way up to an account manager just kind of and what type of pr is this so i was in like food conglomeracy pr like homegrown ontario like that was my campaign like california walnuts california oranges like those kinds of things so we were like yeah we were like influencing uh, like direct to sales stuff. Like we, I would go to like a place like Pickle Barrel or something like that, and we'd work on a PR campaign. I would talk to their chefs and I would like explain all the benefits of like California walnuts, and then like all the omega three and the health issues and and, and interests and all that stuff. And then I would try and get them to basically create a, a new recipe, like like a salad with walnuts that they would put out through all the Pickleberry restaurants so that like Pickle Barrel would start increasing sales of walnuts. And so I'd like go around and try and get restaurant chains and stuff to infuse the product so that like trade sales would go up. And so I worked like with tr- like Spanish Trade Commission on like their wine commission and stuff like that. Um, but really, yeah, sounds like some really interesting stuff. It was like uh, I probably think it, gets dry after a while. It though. was yeah, yeah like yeah. it was like the I was I liked the strategy of it, but yeah. like at the end of the day, like I don't know how exciting are walnuts really, right? Yeah, like and what what was the strategy stuff that you may have learned about it that you maybe you carried on? Yeah, yeah. like all of it, like just yeah. how to approach people and how to present myself and how to be aware of what other people's interests are before I go into something and Ooh. figuring out how to like leverage people's common interests together so that they can unite. And I definitely have carried a lot of that into what I've done. Uh, how, how do you do that with a chef? Like, how, how does that work? Uh, like, you do things like, like, we would go on, like, fam trips. Like, we would, like, fly to California or something like that and, like, take these chefs, like, over through, like, the walnut fields Ooh. and then take them out so and, like, take present people- them nice dishes that, like, had walnuts in it ah. and, that, like, schmooze them. And then they go back and be like, yeah, walnuts or whatever. And then they'd, like, create some recipe with walnuts and then, like, walnut sales would go up because now all of a sudden, yeah, this restaurant chain is buying way more walnuts to, su- like, s- to submit in the recipes. And, yeah, it sounds did- like what record labels would do with, like, taking over, like, flying executives and stuff like that or... Or if you're if a label ain't artist trying to sign an artist, let's fly you out to LA. Yeah, and, then we show and like you. medical sales do that stuff. Schmooze the doctors, Pharma, so like pharmaceutical, pharma is all yeah. about that kind of thing too. Okay. Um, yeah, and like it was perception changing stuff too. We did a big campaign in Ontario to change the perception of veal. Uh, we actually like won an award for that because we kind of painted a different light, which I, which kind of felt like a bit weird to me too. That's kind of when I was starting to like like exit that because I I wasn't passionate about it and I was like learning all these tactics with strategy and stuff but they I weren't I wasn't implementing them to things that like mattered to me or I felt mattered to the community really mm-hmm. um, and so all the while that was happening I was kind of like going home from my day job and just kind of de-stressing working on music uh, and then a friend of mine uh, he was kind of on his own path directing TV commercials and stuff like that and he was kind of working his way up from like nothing to something and he ended up dragging in a budget for a Google Chrome commercial when Google Chrome came out. They gave, they did this like viral thing, like viral ads or whatever. They, back in the day when that was like catchphrase or whatever, they they took like uh, all these submissions and treatments from people, and they selected like ten young directors and they gave them all like fifteen grand each or something to shoot this like viral video, and then they like premiered those on Google Chrome and made this big rollout for it. But one of my one of my homies, super talented guy, uh, Steve Modershed from Art Jail. Uh, he's got a shop in New York now, um, but he, he basically, yeah, like landed that, and he's a visual guy, and he blew the whole budget on visuals, made it look like freaking spectacular, but didn't really have enough of a budget to kind of work with the sound, so we helped him through the sound, and then through that, I 
was introduced to an agency he was doing work with in New York. And so um, they kind of saw the spot, liked some of the pieces I did. Um, they started basically allowing me to submit on pitches. So they would get a, they would get a commercial in from a client, and they would give me a couple of reference tracks, and they would send it my way, and they would say, like, here's the video, here's the tracks we're going for, like, give us some ideas. Um, and what are you exactly, what did you do with your friend for that Google Chrome video? What did you do? Just the audio, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. like basically he shot it all, and then there wasn't any, like, really, like, uh, proper location audio, so we, like, we, like, kind of made up all the sounds, did all the Foley, all the sound effects, like, wrote the song behind it, um, like, did a rough mix on it to get it to, like, a web standard. I kind of, like, learned a lot just about things just in that process because I was just used to making music. And then it was like, oh, okay, sound effects. And, like, I started, like, like working through tutorials. And, like, it, it was interesting to me to paint the sound palette out on it. Um, so, yeah, we did, like, a full soundscape on it, did all the Foley and, and all the – everything but the location recording. Um, and when you say we, who who's involved in this time? Uh, I was working with a couple other producers. This is okay. one guy, Scott McManus. Uh, me and him had a work live spot. And there's another dude, Will Organ. Um, that uh, Scott now works on like movie sets. He kind of like came up in the studio with me and then started doing more and more location audio gear. Now he's now he's working on like like uh, like stuff like Suicide Squad and stuff like that. Mm. Uh, doing like the location audio on it, which is okay. really really dope. Yeah, so, so now this New York agency contacts you for work. Yeah, oh, they okay. they start like hitting me up with pitches and stuff, and so I'm I'm you know I'm running around in the rat race, kind of like putting my like suit and tie on and going sit in an office all day and not really. And this is it in New York or no? This is in yeah. Toronto here, okay. and then okay. I'm coming home at night and they're sending me stuff over an F FTP site. They're just uploading files. You know, here's what we're going for. Shoot us ideas. So I go home and I just kind of you know have a beer or something and play, work on music for fun, de-stress. And then I landed one, and, I like, they pay out pretty good when, you, when you're when you working on a U.S. commercial like that. Like, uh, let's just say the numbers. How much was that at that time? Uh, it was, like, it, like it's it's still kind of paying a bit. Like, it's, it's like, it depends on, like, royalties and stuff. Like, they can cash out a lot. But you can, you can ca like, cake, like, 30, 40 grand kind of easy on a track for, like, a brand. Like, more. Like, I know of guys who have, like, like you know, done... Like, not even, like, humongous artists who have done, like, 800 grand on a track for, like, a Tide commercial and stuff like that. And this is because of royalties is the big part. Royalties and yeah. licensing, and it's, yeah. like, how far they're going to push that brand and how many how many times they're going to use that moniker, how big, how big that sales campaign is going to be, like, mm -hmm. how long it's going to run for, how many countries it's going to run in, how many languages it's going to be used, how many times they're going to use it through. Wow. There's a million ways to kind of monetize it. I wonder how much K-9 made off Waving Flag. That's probably oh, why he's bro, not making music like anymore for a while. for sure millions. Yeah. Like, absolutely millions. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So. Uh, so yeah, I, I, that, I basically start. I, I basically yeah. started pitching on those. Landed a couple decent ones. Was enough to like, kind of go. Oh shit! Like, I can like make money on this. Not in like a. I'm gonna blow up with an artist or whatever. Like just like a. I can actually pr practically just sit at home and like work on tunes and like I won't starve and I won't like <laughs> you know I won't be living on the street or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I started just kind of doing that more and more, and a couple things went well and. Um, yeah, I just kind of like got to a point where I felt stifled in the environment I was at work and in the, the PR in the PR company. side yeah. of it and yeah. the music stuff started to like, you know, get a little traction. And so I just kind of took a break and I, I quit my job and I like took off for like a month and a half and went to Indonesia and backpacked around and just kind of thought about things. And yeah, when I came back, I decided I wasn't going to go into any form of PR. I just was going to start working as a contract producer like trying to get tv commercials and jingles and radio spots and stuff like that mm. so i like i worked for a couple years like building up so my i, I want to stop for a second so yeah, you, yeah. how many years did you do the pr job then five five years yeah and tell me about uh because people come to this point always whether it be yeah uh midlife crisis or uh, you're in the middle or maybe after university that they take a backpacking trip and uh, some people don't realize uh, the value of traveling. Like, how did that change you going to Indonesia for a month and a half? And, it was yeah. like I always yeah. liked traveling. Like, yeah. I've I've always kind of taken a moment. Like, even when so I was you've going traveled to, before then. Though, yeah, I've often. done a I've done a good okay. amount of backpacking. Um, okay. 
so it's kind of it was like kind of a regular thing yeah, or was I, it eye opening? Well, anything, I kind of like no? while okay. I was going through yeah. school and college yeah. and all that stuff, I yeah. would like you know take off for last month, like save my tuition, take off for a month, and then go back to school for the year. And every every year I do like you know three four weeks of like shoestring backpack, like just go somewhere, like not really bring much clothes or anything, just kind of like tool around, check stuff out. Um, and yeah, I find it like I find it's extremely important to like. Uh, to know yourself <laughs> like it's a, such a tool and it in in allowing you to know yourself is like removing yourself from the bubble I feel like everybody's in a bubble and they're like around a certain amount of people in an environment and like a, a certain set of like like social laws that are like roughly put in place and like you get a perspective based on your environment and the more you're around it the more that adapts into who you are. And I find like when you totally remove yourself from those type of things, like when you go on a trip that is just, like everything everywhere is the same. People are the same. They still want to be good to each other. They're still like trying to survive, trying to make money, trying to like be a positive person. But like everywhere has a different slant and a different perspective and a different day-to-day routine and a different environment and a different perspective of, of looking at things. And so like, yeah, when you're able to like completely shut out of one bubble and go to another one, you start really kind of like figuring out who you are again in that new environment. And the more of that you do, the more you figure out who you are. I really truly feel like it's it's a way to kind of, yeah, center yourself and figure out and cut through the fat of life and, and really like look at yourself honestly. In- that's, that's great. So we're definitely going to talk a little bit later about knowing yourself and self-awareness. Uh, okay, so you come back from Indonesia, you decide that you're going to be in what an audio engineer producer producer yeah i'm not even an engineer i would yeah. never even say it i'm yeah. an engineer yeah. okay i'm not an engineer like yeah. i'm a i'm a creative guy and yeah so like i would creatively produce tracks and foley and sound design when you work for an agency that you're signed to like the one in new york or whatever you get to work on stuff and you kind of get credited for it within the shop but like going outwards like the shop that you did it for completely owns the rights to it and like you're not really allowed to go and be like, I did this, because, like, really, it's they did it, even if you did it. Um, so, like, when you break off and you start freelancing, that's what I noticed. I was just doing a lot of work, and, like, you, some of those shops, like, don't really give you the credit that's due. It just kind of all goes back to the shop. And it's cool if you're going to continue to do that for the shop forever, but I kind of was like, I'm feeling like a low man on a totem pole here. I'm just, like, doing tracks and... And then so that's it. what what exactly do you mean by that? Do you mean like you can't include it in your portfolio? What does that mean? You can't yeah. publicly yeah. include it. So you can't put it up on your personal website and yeah, say this I is could, the work I've done. Yeah, you couldn't yeah. say that. You really? could you could behind yeah. the scenes be like, yeah. yo, like so yeah. I did this with this company and yeah. this was my work on it. Yeah. But you couldn't publicly announce like like, hey, this job I did for this other company that they dragged it in, and that's their client, and they chose, and they art directed it and all that. Like, I did it. They'll be like, no, we did it. <laughs> uh, other than that, is there anything else? Is it, do you still get the royalties or stuff like that, or no? It depends yeah. on the deals you got worked out. Every shop's kind of different. Okay. Um, a lot of the bigger shops try to maintain as much as they can credit-wise, which allows them... Get awards and stuff? Yeah, yeah. The, the awards go to the shop. Um, and it takes a while for you to be in a bigger shop and them start to credit you properly like that. Um, so yeah. And, and also too, like one shop can only ever like feed you so much work too. So I was just, I was hungry and I'd come from like a busy PR firm where like, you know, I was being productive and then I kind of went into this like freelancer world where, you know, you kind of got to make your own thing happen. So I just kind of landed a few things, but like was hungry for way more. And, um, I was trying to figure out like how, how do I, how do I more so monetize this? How do I build out? So, yeah, I just started behind the scenes showing the work I'd done for the other agencies. And then through that, you, like, tear up your clients. Like, okay, well, I did a big job for them, but now I'm on my own. I don't have that agency behind me. But so, like, maybe you'll get, like, a corporate video for the same client. You maybe not get, like, a broadcast TV commercial. But now you've got a corporate video for that client. And it takes a while. You work up through, like, smaller, smaller jobs and you know, every like couple of months, you like take the lower rung one off your reel and put a new higher one on and just build up and tear up and tear up until you're at a point where clients will take you seriously. 
But then again, I ran into that the catch twenty two. But being a freelancer is that like eventually you get to a certain point and the clients expect to have a space and expect to have a secretary and expect to have a nice office and all that. Really, does that really matter? Perception and that yeah. is yeah, because like if you're going to an ad agency, say say like BMW goes to this ad agency and says like, hey, we want like the best fucking car commercial ever. The ad agency cannot go to BMW and be like, okay, thanks for this huge budget. We're going to, like, give it to this dude in his room. They're going to be like, no, we want to make sure a professional agency is involved with awards, with all, you know, that kind of stuff. And they want to, like, yeah, they're going to do a day or two in the studio with, like, the creative directors and the brand heads and stuff like that. They're going to come into the facility. So they, if you don't have a facility, like, they're not going to come in and sit on your bedroom studio, right? And that was kind of the point. Like, we were working out of a work-live spot, like, where it was, like, the bed was in the corner and, like, the desk was in there. And we had one room like wired into another one and our living room had like a makeshift uh, like booth in it and stuff mm-hmm. and it was enough to like do stuff that sounded cool and was like proper but like you could never build a client there or be taken really like super seriously um, so yeah I partnered with another guy we built out this work live spa we started like building up our reel together and just trying to tear up tear up tear up and after we got to a certain point Scott was the guy the guy who does the film set stuff so I was building up with him and Will and we were you know just working on any project we could free or not um, like, you know, menial budget, corporate video, like, whatever. And, uh, yeah, after a point, I got to a point where I got my foot in a door with a client who was, like, willing to give us the work but, like, needed us to kind of step up our facility and stuff like that. And it kind of made me realize, like, if I want to keep on going here, i got to build out a crazier facility. And that led me to, like, building out the post office. So, so what do you mean, like, did it mean, like, your final work didn't sound good enough and step it no, up that way? What does no, that mean? That's what I mean yeah. about perception in the industry. Like, the advertising agents agencies will not, like, hand over the budget to you unless, like, there's a certain perception behind your camp and the work you do and all that kind of stuff. They're, they need security in because that agencies are just as scared too, right? They got something that's working. They got a few contractors that they use. If they get like a machine going, they don't want to disrupt that. They don't want to like pitch it out somewhere where and like it might not come back or the client might be like, that doesn't sound like it normally sounds or that, you know, we're not as impressed or like anything like that can like lose them like a, like a long-term client, like, you know, millions of dollars sometimes really could like hinge on them making a bad decision to go somewhere. They don't so, want to take, no taking risks. Basically. Zero risks yeah, with yeah, yeah. clients. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, it's really hard coming up as a freelancer too to like get work from brands or agencies on your own without like contracting through another sound design agency or jingle house or something like that. So that was the kind of thing we were facing. It was like, you know, I'm a freelancer. I'm, I don't mind working for other companies, but I want my own company, I want my own creative control, but I don't quite have a facility yet. <laughs> so it's like catch-22 trying to get these clients in. Um, yeah, but, like, you just you just build up and you stay persistent and you do good work all the time. And I managed to, like, save up a bit of money while I was in PR, and I, and I made a bit of money while I was, like, freelancing. And so, uh, yeah, we kind of I, – I met up with Scott, and I was like, I want to do this, like – like full-fledged like are you down and he um yeah basically me and scott decided to go kind of all in and i took like pretty much everything i had and it wasn't even enough to like at all build a place that would have been like competitive um so yeah i went to like martin pilschner who's like a famous studio designer around here he's designed like metalworks and revolution and the tiff lightbox theater and all these crazy facilities. And did you know him at this point at all? I knew him, like, through a friend of ours had, like, kind of worked on some job. A friend of ours was a wiring guy for studios, and he had wired up a few of Martin's studios, and they had a friendly relationship. So um, I was able to kind of leverage that and go to Martin and be like, man, like, I'm hungry, I'm ambitious, like, I want to do this so bad, and, like, I see a way to, like, you know, kind of, navigate this industry differently than some of like the like the juggernauts are and like i just you know i need a i need a leg up somehow like will you like you know give me a good rate on a blueprint and like point me to a contractor who's like affordable um and so yeah he basically like after some persuading like um still wasn't cheap (laughs) but it was like he gave me a deal on my blueprints and he led me so to tell somebody. me about that process where obviously this guy has mad leverage and uh, you're just hungry and you have this vision and how do you convince somebody to like give you a shot 
I basically just showed him that I was passionate. And I mean, he does like jobs for guys who have infinite amount of money, right? But like, I, I, he didn't start from a lot either. So I think he has a little bit of like indie rock or whatever kind, like little punk rock to him. So he was, I just basically explained my vision of what I wanted to do and like how I saw agencies working now and I didn't like it and how I wanted to like run my own agency that was more of like a collective and like where all the artists got their own rights. And I started showing him the work we were doing and I just, talked to him a lot and I told him about the space we had found so I found that space in Liberty looked forever to try and find that was a whole nightmare even actually too I want to rewind like yeah. like while I was trying to set this whole thing up we had signed a lease in another building on Spadina and then that building was like a new reno it was like an old uh, historical building that had been gutted and it was being changed into units and so we were like the second tenant to buy a like like lease a place on the floor and we had started getting our blueprints like made up for the place and like started like getting some of the contract work done chalking the space up to become the studio and then they ended up selling the whole building like out, like someone a tenant was going to lease like the f- top couple floors and found out that their lease was almost comparable to mortgaging the place so they said well, why would I lease it when I can mortgage it for this place? So they basically made a bid on the building and it went through. But then when they signed it, they said they did it, they wanted a clear building. And so like they tried to basically like screw us out of our lease. So like here I am trying to start up a business with no money and I'm like caught in this like lease agreement lawsuit with these guys who were like buying fucking $15 million buildings. <laughs> and then so that like stalled us a whole bunch. And so I'm like just trying to run around, do contract work while that's going on. Finally, like we ended up like settling with them and they, they paid us out at like our time and our initial investment plus like you know, our compensation for the damages or whatever. So we, we had a little bit of a leg up uh, on our build now at that point. Mm-hmm. Found the building in Liberty Village. It's an old munitions factory, so it was perfect. It's all reinforced concrete, everything, 14-foot high ceiling. So it was kind of like, yeah, perfect spot to set up. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I got Martin to build us the blueprints, and then I got a contractor who was willing to, like, build, and he kind of gave me a pitch, but his... His pitch was for him and his staff, and I couldn't afford his whole staff. So I basically came to an agreement with him that, like, <laughs> I would I would labor with him. So, like, I spent, like, six months with this guy, like, with another friend, like, literally, like, screwing every screw. And we built, like, like when I got in there, you've seen the space. When I got in there, there was nothing there. It was a completely open room. And so, like, we built all the floating floors and, like, yeah, built like a fully tuned room based off Martin's Martin's drawings, and and then yeah, this the studio opened up, and I was kind of like, holy shit, I just spent a ton of money. Now I got like all this overhead coming out of. But fortunately, right as like we were opening up, the studio there was a big studio upstairs called Last Gang. Uh, sorry, it was beside Last Gang Records called Wide Awake at Liberty Village Studio, and they were doing work with Last Gang and a bunch of other people, and they had just been shutting down while we were opening up and so I went and I had coffee with their studio manager and just said well yo I know you guys are shutting down I know you probably have clients and now you're you have to go do something else if you start like forwarding me your clients when you can't service them anymore like I'll give you commissions so she just started shooting me clients like one of the first people that came through our studio was uh, Ken Masters and Boy Wonder and they came up with Catalyst from New York, and they spent, like, a week working on a bunch of tunes for a bunch of different people. And, yeah, that, that's, that was kind of the point where, like, things kind of so budded. So what work were you doing for those guys? That was just, like, a yeah. straight facility rent out. Like, oh, okay. That was just, like, we're open, and they came in. They're like, we need to work out of a studio. And I was like, I got a studio now. Oh, okay. And so, so they just rented out for the week, and then um, I introduced, like, my producers to the guys with Catalyst and stuff like that. And so, like, my producer, Evan Miles... And me and stuff like that, we actually got along with them pretty good. Mm-hmm. And we started, uh, yeah, we started working back and forth and sending them tracks, and they sent us tracks. And Okay, man, so your Wide Awake shuts down, and uh, you guys get some of their work. And so after Boy Wanda, and then so did, so did momentum happen then after that, where people are starting to work the studio, or how did it? So those guys come in, they're super nice guys. They've got, like, you know, a million hits behind their belt. It looks like. 
it, it's a good look, and I've always been aware of the power of perception, and I knew that going in. That's why we moved in. Well, so. you must have been geeked that Boy Wonders like one yeah, of your first. Yeah, it was dope, dope, yeah. and super nice guy. Like, and how many years ago was this? Like, there's like boy. three and a half, almost yeah. four years, three and a half years. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so we capture social media on it and stuff like that, and Boy Wonder came through. Um, we had a good time. It was good, good relationship built, and. Because we were, like, you know, just had open. Obviously, everybody's snapping photos and stuff. So, like, yeah, it was, a, it was a nice look, like, opening up. And our first client was, like, you know, boy, wonder. Yeah. And when <laughs> and, you have a successful producer, people want to be associated with that. Yeah. And yeah. so, like, we were pushing the ad stuff. Um, but then, like, yeah, the hip-hop artists started, like, calling us. And that kind of. That's kind of been like an ever-growing thing. So how did that hap- start happening after Boy Wonder or like what? Like how did? Yeah, no, it was just yeah. like one thing after another because like you know back in the day, like growing up, I I like made beats for a while too, so I had like a little community. You had people, a network, yeah. A little little network, and then like my partner at the time had as well, um, and then yeah, like we just basically started pushing our our work. We hooked up with a couple uh, agencies that were doing like some cool stuff. One of our other first jobs was uh, this like weird interactive experience uh, uh, called the Body Mind Change Experience that was uh, at TIFF uh, Lightbox where I was like a David Cronenberg piece. So, yeah, like our first couple things were like David Cronenberg and Boy Wonder. So, like, it okay. really helped with the perception game, I guess. Like, But at this forward. time, what about, like, the freelance work that you had? Were you not able to just transition it? Or no, that's, you it. that's all yeah. coming in. That's yeah. all coming in. But, okay. like, now it's like... Yeah. I had freelance work, but now it's like now I have a shiny facility and I got two names attached to it too that are like you know like without endorsing it have endorsed it in some way okay um yeah and so we're just like yeah it, it was just like a build-up from there like constantly um and like the there's been like a crazy escalation too the building's gone up in rent a whole bunch of times and like like in li- being in liberty, liberty village, village was yeah. a, liberty village is like a crazy it was like because back in the day, it was, like, very run down and just, like, one of the cheapest industrial neighborhoods in Toronto. Not much going on there except for, like, porn companies and drug dealers and stuff like that. Uh, but since, it's gentrified like crazy and all the ad agencies have moved in there. And the, the city looked at it and went, oh, like, Liberty Village is now, like, Liberty Village. And they upped the property tax there like through the roof and it drove like all the rent and the whole neighborhood up like crazy like two thousand dollars a month extra kind of thing like in a matter of like like a month <laughs> wow so, and you can't do nothing about that even if no, you had a lease or anything like no, that you can't, you can't do yeah. anything about it so yeah. it's like yeah it's constantly like the whole thing is just for us has been a community build and a tearing up of work and a trying to adapt to the environment that's changing around and it's been just that juggling act of the three the whole time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, like, the agency started doing better and better. We started getting more and more clients that were regular and all that stuff. We even had, like, Chris Hatfield through and, like, all these crazy people. We did, like, voiceover work for a GM ad with, like, Ethan Hawke. And um, just because of the location and the perception of the neighborhood. It's so that so, made a huge difference. That, that perception, like I was saying earlier, plays a big part in it. So, mm-hmm. And when I was looking to set up, too, I kind of knew that, like, I could have went out to DuPont or Davenport or something like that and gotten, like, three times the space for half the price. But, like, then I would have been trying to pull all these downtown clients up there and stuff, and I just knew, like, they're about convenience and perception. Yeah, like, can, can you talk about that? Is there there's a real kind of... Uh... I don't know, bias um, if you're outside of downtown or something like that, isn't there? It's it's hard unless yeah. you have, like, a huge name for you if you're yeah. just – because the idea is, like, yeah, if you're, like, one of those core companies that's doing big shit, then you're there. And if you're n- not, then it's – I don't know. It's kind of a weird – it's a totally, again, like, an ad agency perception thing. Like, mm-hmm. I literally could have, like, a bigger, better facility outside of Liberty Village for less money. Um, but – like being there, like having Vice down the street and all that stuff makes it really convenient to like run into those creative directors and stuff at lunch and like grab a beer after work and invite them to one of the shows we're doing and all that kind of stuff. So it's just like the community around you is a, is a big part of like of how stable you become. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to know, like, what is it? Um, uh, what's the, what's the environment like for, uh, to have a recording studio? Uh, so I guess you have all these things going. Maybe that's better for you. But like in 2016, 2017 and beyond, when most artists maybe 
especially in rap, can do everything from their laptop, maybe. Like, you know, I, I'm hearing a lot of artists who are mixing their own stuff and recording their own stuff and doing all this stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, what is it like? Uh, is that, like, a challenging, or is it, like, is that why you have more I than don't music? Think, or, I don't yeah. think there's any, like... I think the only challenge in the music industry is just, like, adapting now. Like, for everything that's died out, there's other newer ways to monetize things. For, like, every advent that's, you know, been made at home, there's also been advents in the studio. And, like, 100% artists can do so much at home, and I think that's really, really cool. But, like, what's lacking in that? And, like, it's something that, like, you know, was always, like, super prevalent back in the day at, like, in like Motown and stuff like that is like the community around a studio. It's like, if you, if you talk to the guys at the Motown, like if you go through like a Motown tour or something like that and you hear them tell about stories or you read stuff about it, like that studio was going nonstop, like 24 hours a day. There's constantly people in there. And that's why everybody's sound started gelling because like somebody be in the studio and somebody else would walk in and be like, Oh, I'm going to try this on your track. And they just constantly like build and brood together and they created a community. That's big on like what we're about at our place. As far as it goes, like we don't even consider ourselves like a recording studio for artists for hire. Like I don't even consider that a monetary avenue. I don't offer that as a service for our studio even anymore. Like our nine to five there, we do creative ad work in, in sound. And then after that, we have an artist management company that we develop our own acts. And then we have like another kind of record label and kind of like a distribution alignment that we're developing other artists through. And then we have a community of artists that are our friends or people that we support or people we have like had initiatives with, with team backpack or the beat Academy or any one of those things. And so that's like, yeah, I wouldn't say we're a recording studio for hire anymore. I feel like we're a development center um, for a community that A, develops artists, and B, develops content for media hmm. in audio. Chris, tell me why is community so important to you, and how has that helped your business? Well, okay, let me let me kind of break down kind of the structure. So, like, as I was saying, that's kind of, like, what we are as a facility. And then within that, there's, like, different infrastructures. So... Like, the 9 to 5 stuff is under the post office, and that is, like, post-production and creative work for TV and advertising. Um, and we actually are doing a ton of work in VR right now, uh, binaural and ambisonic recording and 360 mixing and um, head tracking and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's our 9 to 5 grind. After that, we do the artist stuff. So I have a management company with uh, Riley Kirkwood and Lynn Banks, and that's called What Went Wrong?, and under that, we have a few artists signed. We signed, like, uh, Tory Lane's brother, Yoko. We got an artist named Macy. We got another, uh, like, hip-hop artist, like, almost trappy kind of guy named Maz. He's, like, a, a grill maker and, like, a really, really talented, like, entrepreneur and artist kind of combined. So he's a really cool piece. And then we're working with uh, T.Y., too, who is uh, also known as, as Tebe. Um, and then under that, we've signed a few producers. And we kind of use the facility, and we're working with we're working with older cats like Derek Brand and Rupert Gale and Ivan Barry and those guys who like found Dream Warriors and uh, organized Rhyme and Chaclair and all that stuff way back in the day. And we're working with their songwriting crews, but then we're taking newer producers and developing our acts. And then we're finding our new producers because our facility, like I was saying um, about community, like our facility is home to the Beat Academy. So, like, when Beat Academy is getting ready for battles and all that stuff, we do workshops and team meetings and introduce the producers to each other, and we'll do little, like, panels where we'll have, like, um, companies with gear and software and stuff like that come in and explain, and they'll figure out workflows and how to work together creatively. Um, and then we're also the home of Team Backpack for Canada, so we've been, like, putting together those ciphers with, like, you know, Havaya Mighty and all them who did the uh, International Women's Day cipher. It's, like, at, like, almost 3 million views now. And we started launching artists like John River through there, and we had him on a cipher, and then we dropped his music video, and he's kind of, like, blown up. Look, 
I'm the best in the world, nigga probably buy a sliver Take a trip to the road, better ask about the river I was gonna fuck your girl, but my dick didn't fit her All these niggas is my kids, that's why I had to call the sitter She be like, what they eat, I be like, rice and beans She be like, what they drink, I'm like, mm, let me think I could probably fuck the sitter, but I really don't love her I ain't asking for forgiveness, Lord, I'm asking for a rubber We've been putting ciphers together, building community And we've been taking producers out of Beat Academy and then working with artists and it's kind of like this creative incubator where there's a lot of like talent and exposure tools built in and um like we have a facility to do like really professional work because you can do a lot at home but you can't you definitely can't do the level of work we can do so like a lot of people will take it to like you know 85 percent but then yeah like when you hear that what extra 15 percent makes a huge difference massive yeah. massive yeah. Yeah. and yeah like and that's what we're known for too so that's that's like our recording work is like now just like like creative stuff with the community it's like finishing work and then once in a while we work with record labels and like mix and master projects for like certain artists that are like friendly to us okay so all this development stuff that you're doing why are you doing this like how did it come to be and what's what's why so because as obviously this is this is at this moment all the artist development and helping artists is not making you money as a business owner, right? No. no? Well, yeah. in, inevitably yeah. or inadvertently it is because so what we've done is we've created a very avid creative community of artists and we've given them a home. So there's a lot of creative energy and a lot of buzz and a lot of things happening at our studio. And again, back to perception that's what sells to the ad agencies. That's the leg up for us because we're not the big multi-million dollar facility with a staff of 70 and all this crap and jingle writers like, you know, on contract and all this shit. We're a small boutique shop that has one of everything and we can we have a mirrored room to them, but we don't want to take on a whole bunch of projects that mean nothing. So for me, community is about curating the content and the culture. So, and it's about feeding back and it's creating a secular system so we work and develop with artists we're passionate about and make projects and help push out projects that we really believe in and feel creatively connected with and the more we do that the more our brand identity comes out and the more authentic our music is and our craft is and then that is the way we win the business now because when people are thinking of people in the community, they're not, and they like say the new creative director is in here and he's working on a cool Nike spot or something like that. Like he knows that Nike may want to go to this big like white bread firm with a bunch of like, you know, jingle writers with no names. But he also knows like we're messing with like really cool artists. Like we're working with the community. We, like are doing With the something. rich kids and the, the yeah, stuff and like that. Yeah, all the guys yeah, from yeah. Deus and Remix Project. And yeah. we've been working with like, you know, like we've recorded like and working with like the OVO guys like Roy Woods and Mitch Jordan. And like we've retracked like Chance the Rapper, like three of the tracks on his last album were like tracked out of our space. And like, so that culture then is perceived by the ad agencies as cool. And that's how we're, <laughs> that's how we're making money right now is by being fucking cool i guess like as dumb as that sounds like investing in creative artistic people who have a vision who are cool will turn back and turn heads by brands inevitably more so than you know just the fancy facility um and so that's kind of the thing like you need to have a base you need to be professional enough you need to like you know have enough of a home base and a facility and all that but like you can do it with a Swiss Army knife, right? You don't need a whole camping kit. Like, like, yeah, we are more authentic than our competitors, and so that there is where the money comes back. And that's the cool part about the community is that now, like, we drag in ad work that now I'm able to like hand out to like my friends and stuff like that. Like we just, like I was telling you earlier, we just finished a movie called uh, Wexford Plaza that was about a Scarborough like strip mall with like a kind of unfortunate female security guard. But the whole movie we just scored with like, sc- like authentic Scarborough hip hop from like Jimmy B and Tona and all this stuff. So like if, if you know the environment and you watch this movie, like it is super, super Scarborough. Um, 
and yeah, like I, that's what I feel is like fucking cool about it. And that's, that is what it's like turning into money. And that is what's fueling our community because the more opportunities I drag into the shop, I can project out to the community. I can feel their creativity and then it comes back and it's just a secular, secular thing where our, our, our friends and the people we believe in are inevitably provided with more opportunities and it builds the shop up and it's just this, it's this ever growing community of opportunity. <laughs> it sounds awesome, bro. And we have like a whole bunch of crazy stuff coming out. Uh, so uh, the guys from 40 ounce, John from 40 ounce heroes and, and Riley, who's my other business partner. He also is a, is a, a leader at, uh, at, uh, the beat Academy. Um, me and John and Riley have teamed up with Team Backpack, and we're bringing Team Backpack here, and we're modifying that entity so that it can work within the grant system so we can do a whole bunch more with the community here and build out a whole bunch more culture and build out, like, a whole bunch more traction for people. And we're figuring out ways to not just use it as an exposure tool or figure out ways to, like, actually utilize it um, in connectivity with brands. So now we're going to be able to offer... Um, like competitions through the community where you can, instead of just like, you know, getting your stuff played, you know, you can work on something for Sprite or something like that. And then, you know, you'll get actually paid out on a Sprite campaign. So we're becoming like almost like a, like a creative ad agency on a massive scale mm. um, through Team Backpack, um, which, yeah, is going to provide just like a crazy amount of opportunity for so many young producers here. Cause that was one of the things too, with like remix and beat Academy and all that stuff. Like, the vision's there and everybody's doing amazing stuff. But in the music side, I felt like the focus was always on artist stuff. And me coming up, like, I know where I make my money and it's not really the artist stuff. <laughs> like, it's from the brands. And so I did a lot of thinking while we were doing stuff with the Beat Academy and stuff on how to, like, show these kids that, like, yeah, I mean, Wonder Girl got to sync with Drake and all this stuff. Um, but, like, you know, for every, like one of those there's like 29 others that like maybe don't get that one breakthrough but that doesn't mean like give up or whatever like like you can be scoring video games you can be working on tv shows mm. you can be working on apps you can be working on virtual reality experiences you can be working on podcasts you can be scoring corporate videos you can be doing tv commercials. <laughs> like you can be licensing music for playlists for stores you can be there's like 60 gazillion things you can do with these skills and so that's what we're trying to, like, build an environment around is showing, like, all the ways you can monetize, all the ways you can work with each other, all the ways you can connect with each other, and all the ways you can, like, build and grow together. And, yeah, again, back to where it goes. Like, the more I, the more I help that culture evolve, the more creative culture comes back and the more creativity goes out. And the more productive we all become mm -hmm. and the more productive the shop becomes and the more opportunities the community gets and it all just kind of stacks. So um, tell me the role of hip-hop culture plays. Now you, you, all these ad agencies and, you know, these guys who are owned by these companies, Nikes or whatever, uh, what role does hip-hop play now? Like these companies, w w like, want to... Like you use hip hop. No, to, it's true. Reach, right? I've noticed yeah. it. Like back yeah. when I started, it was a lot of like, um, like Seeger Royce, Florence and the Machine was like kind of the thing. Before that was like a little bit of like Black Eyed Peas. I got a feeling like I had to like recreate that song like 13 times for different TV commercials. But like there's always an evolution of sound um, and there's always trends in sound. Then after that, it was like the Drive soundtrack. I got like 10, 10 TV commercials that were like, make it sound like Drive. Um, but like, yeah, now like hip hop culture has become way more mainstream now. It's way more commercialized. It's, it's way more pushed forward in media culture. And as a result of that, yeah, creative directors are now asking for it more and more and more and more and more. And that is also another area we have a leg up. A lot of the shops in the area are very much like white bread, rocky kind of like alt rock kind of stuff and not a lot of them have a tap on the urban culture here and just because of the environment and the culture and our friends and everything like that is a community that has completely gravitated to a, to us and that's the community we've been able to like like help leverage and help create opportunities for the most um, especially with like the the team backpack stuff coming in now it's just kind of accelerated to another level um, but yeah it's like 
we just want to make sure that that culture that is being infused is authentic. I notice like there's the ask is out there by the ad agencies, but not all the agencies get it. And I'm noticing like there's certain jobs coming out that are like done by friends and stuff that are like really, really dope. But then there's like other ones where I know the creative directors are going and going, I want like, you know, something to sound urban. And then they're getting back that like kind of like, 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 like really bad, like, like an old, like 45 year old white guy's like hip hop or whatever. And so, so like, yeah, yo, yo, yo. yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So like, yeah, we just hear that and are just like, oh no. So like, I'm on a mission right now to just like drag in anything that's urban related and make sure people are coming to a source that's authentic to the culture. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so you, you basically, uh, I think uh, you talked about how there's all these different roles and um, you found a way to pay your bills through the corporate work and also uh, and work on the passion stuff. Uh, that allows you to be able to work on the stuff that's passion. And that's maybe the people who are listening to us right now, or a lot of them are creatives, artists, or whatever. You know, they're trying to make it through their passion, but, like, they, may, they might be suffocating because they're not getting enough money, and then they might feel disheartened and might quit or whatever. So what advice would you give to those people? Uh, like, <laughs> don't quit. Like, I, <laughs> like, really, like, it's one of those things, like, it'll, it's, the music industry is, is tough. Like, no lie, it's, like, it's tough. And if you're, if you're looking for, like, financial reward out of it, like, go, go to a different industry. Like, the only way you're going to get the financial reward is if you're around and enjoy it long enough to, like, get there. And, like, the financial rewards can turn, like, pretty amazing. But, like... Like, if that's why you're in it, like, get out now. Because, <laughs> like, because, yeah, it's not that. It's, like, a lot of, like, doing it because you love it. Like, we've 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 undergone, like, so many just, like, like, brick walls put up in front of us. Like, so many clients, like, almost there pull away because, like, some bigger firm dangles a carrot. Like, our rent going up $2,000 a month just as we were trying to – like, I was, like, two years in just getting stable – and then our rent goes up. Like, even just from the start, like, trying to set up my fucking studio in the first place, get it in a lease agreement lawsuit. I spent six months, like, trying to do that. I guess the moral of the story for me has always been just, like, um, like, yeah, like, know yourself. And if this is for you, like, go and get it. Like, don't let anybody tell you no. And just be strategic and be professional and be aware and be open. And, and, and invest in the community around you. Like, that's a major part is just, like, like being there for other people so that like they recognize that and then they're there for you when you need it. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is a string of luck too. I mean, we got lucky on certain things. Like we've had a lot of bad luck, but we've also had some like great luck. Like, like, I mean, it was really, really fortunate that a big studio upstairs had a workflow going already and happened to be shutting down when we were opening up. That was awesome. Um, and we've had like, like fortune with friendships and things like that. Like certain people we've just gotten, to be good friends with just because of our personalities and stuff. Like, you know, as we grow, they've also grown. And, you know, three years ago, we were just like, oh, shit, how are we going to do this? And now they're there and I'm here and now we're doing some real shit. Um, so longevity and and resilience. <laughs> resilience is the key. Yeah. Like, yeah. And how do you deal when, like, those brick walls of, like, um, you know, you're in a lawsuit over a lease when you just started and you put all your money into it. Like, what does that feel like? like it's honestly like yeah. it's it's always like super overwhelming. But like, I just always think like sh nothing is the end of the world. Like nothing is the end of the world. And everything has a solution and everything has a set amount of time it takes to get to that solution. And if you don't focus on everything at once, you just focus, OK, well, that's the new challenge ahead. Okay, if I got to do that, then how do I fix this? Oh, well, now I've got to, like, approach this situation this way. Well, how do I do that? And you just work your way back, and then you go, okay, well, then what do I got to do this next hour? <laughs> okay, I got to do this. And that'll just lead you, and you just follow your path, and you just check off your checks, and eventually things, like, will just go. It's like, I don't know. I just feel like if if you don't quit, then then you'll go. But like, I I can't. Yeah, I mean, I can only speak from my experience. I know like I know a lot of people who have been very discouraged. We're working with like, like 
a lot of people who are crazy talented that like have been in the game for a while and like like are still doing stuff but like you know they don't have like a bubbly optimism about them anymore they're, <laughs> they're like they've been beat up by the industry and stuff like that like that can definitely happen that- um so yeah it's just it's just a matter of like how much do you really like it like yeah if you're doing it like i get up every day is and it I like because those doing. people who've lost lost their optimism is it because they're expecting to make money from it or i feel like that's a big thing yeah or they expect like to achieve a certain amount within a timeline and i feel like in the music industry sometimes timelines are super arbitrary like targets like with release dates and shit it makes totally sense but like if you're like gauging on like attractions or landings. I should get this accolade by this time. Yeah, yeah. like that's like such a crapshoot. Like you had no control over that and mm-hmm. like t- the tides change all the time and you adapt and certain times you're hot and other times you're like way left field and and uh, yeah, certain times you're involved in certain relationships and they're like counterproductive to what you're doing like creativity mm-hmm. and I just I just feel like, yeah, this is one of those industries though like entirely like like I do it every day because I know what it was like to work that nine to five job and just how stifling and how um, mundane and uh, drab it felt to just get up every day and kind of do the same thing. And like, like we're doing really well now, but like even when I wasn't doing well, like this industry is something I care about. Like it's a hobby first and foremost for me. It's something I enjoy and I want to do on my spare time. It's like something that I'm passionate about. So like, to have been able to turn it into work like whether I'm balling out or whether I got like just enough for a cheeseburger (laughs) like I'm still waking up with a smile on my Hmm. face every day and if you like it like that and you just don't quit and you learn as you go along and you try to evolve then you'll find your path you'll find your path that's I think that's great advice that's that's pretty good so like just don't suffocate your passion in terms of uh, that pressure of like I gotta make this much money I gotta be here by here money and time is the two things that always make people fail they expect to get a certain amount of compensation and a certain amount of accolade before it happens and they give themselves a shelf life this uh, another thing that you talked about and last point is uh, be there for people invest Uh, I think that's pretty important where um, let's say let's let's use a typical example an artist uh, you know, uh, maybe they're gone out of the scene for six months to a year because they're working on a new album and then it's time for them to push out in their album, but they haven't been supporting other people and then they come out and say, hey, support me now or things like that. Like, what what have you seen from, like, investing and in being there and how people get back from that? Um, I, f- I feel like, yeah, I feel like we're in a different stage in evolution or there's there's a renaissance happening to a certain degree in Toronto for music, so... I felt like, I don't know, even like 10, 15 years ago, like when I first, like the environment was so different than it is now. Um, like I, use, I always use the analogy, like if you have a 100 hungry people in a room and you throw in one steak, they're going to like eat each other alive to get that one steak. But if you throw 100 people in a room and they're all hungry and you put in 10 steaks, they're going to figure out a way to chop it up, right? Like as long as there's enough there for everybody to get a little something – and that's what's kind of happened in Toronto. Like, before there was, like, nothing. So everybody's cutting each other down. Like, if someone else made it, that meant, like, shit, that spot. Like, that, like, one or two spots is gone. Like, I'm more talented than that motherfucker. Like, I should have that spot. And it, it was this, like, thing, everybody cutting each other down. But, like, now there's more opportunity. There's more infrastructure. Like, there's more eyes on us. There's more ears on us. So there's more opportunity. I'm finding, like, in the in the community, for sure, like, the more that happens the more people are starting to collaborate together and support each other and jump on each other's projects and like support each other's projects and like, you know, be there for each other. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that's like where it should be. And that's, that's what I noticed the note is now is like, yeah, there's that opportunity. And now there's like, like artists are making more money off like sinks and stuff than they are off record sales and stuff now too. So like, there's cool projects coming out with two artists, like, working together on stuff just, like, for the purpose of sync that's also, like, making music. We just cut a bunch of tracks with Yoko uh, for this movie we did, and it, he came out with a whole new different sound that he's been working with, and it's it sounds crazy. So we may even, like, possibly drop something. Uh, who knows? I don't want to say anything yet, but, yeah. but like, uh, yeah, it's 
I think that now that there's opportunity, the environment is definitely different and the opportunity to collaborate is there. And for me, that's a major part of everything we do. And like being able to like help a community grow is like a really, it's like Sim City to me. <laughs> like when I built the facility, it totally felt like I remember like a couple months in, I just kind of like looked back and after I'd finished all the construction and stuff and like the place was booked out and there's all these people working and like I just kind of stood back and I was like, like kind of like it's alive, kind of like it was like it felt like a Sim City just watching it like populate and grow, and I, that's why I feel like the music industry is like too, and like the more ciphers and things we do with the community, the more rappers like meet each other, and then they made like you know get along, and then the, their cipher we just blew them up, so they both got a lot of numbers, so now they're like both confident on each other, so now they're maybe gonna do like collabs and all that kind of stuff, and then and then like the numbers go up, so the brands are like, oh, that artist is hot, maybe we'll get him on a sync on this commercial, and it just kind of singular. So for me, community is like the most important, it's the, it's the root of everything. And then also like I get a lot of gratification too from like, oh, yeah. like from seeing like what John and like seeing what Havaya and like seeing what Lex and all them are doing now, like, I don't know. They're, they're cipher was wonders, did wonders for them. They're yeah. juiced up now too, and just seen them like, like, yeah. like I just like I feel like they all got like supercharged, and now they're just like want it more, and they're like so hungry, and like, and like, yeah, and like the thing is too, like they're, they're also like I, it's a nice thing like having people view, like the efforts you're putting in in a positive way. So like, like yeah, like I don't know. It's nice to like have people recognize and. Like, say, like, yo, like, thank you so much for, like, putting this on. Like, to be able to have, like, something that actually tractions for somebody and have them come back and be like, holy shit, like, thank you so much for pushing that through. Like, I got a call here. And, like, yeah, we dropped that, like, Taznada, uh, Rich Kid Tona track. And, like, it did, like, 300,000 plays in, like, in, like, like, less than three days. Shout out to all merchandise. Put your hands up high if you smoke good joke From the coast of BC to the T.O. Let's go, 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 let's go. Stunned hard in the club with my new retro. Guaranteed I'm gonna leave with a new sex bro. Let's go, 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 let's go. Next day, like Taznada hit me up. It was just like so happy. Like, bro, can't thank you enough. Like getting calls from like down south, like fucking have artists want to get me on a track, like might getting might be getting booked here, da da da. Like have an artist from like Sweden hitting me up. Like and yeah, just like I don't know. To me that's that fucking platform. awesome. Yeah, just to build a platform and to like see the community like engage it and get traction out of it. Yeah, it's kinda like like playing a real life game of Sim City. It's so beautiful, bro. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, best moments, some of your best moments in the studio working on rap music. Honestly, that yeah. track, Let's Go, with Taznada, yeah. Rich, and Tony. That was recorded at your office. We, yeah. I, I tracked yeah. that one myself, and, yeah. like, that was probably, like, one... Cause, I mean, have you heard that track? <laughs> like, it's... So, like, it's, we just had that beat on loop, like, yeah. live as hell for, like, hours, and we had a, a bottle of Jameson, and, like... Taznada was in and like it was near MMVA time and so like everybody was amped up and yeah that was probably like one of the funnest sessions like we were just like jumping off the couches like yeah. <laughs> screaming jumping around we have all these like hilarious videos just from that session alone that was like yeah it was <laughs> it was hysterical <laughs> but yeah that was like that was kind of like yeah that's that energy like that's why you, like that's when you look and you're like man I'm working right now like, like that's fucking, I can't believe that's that. a beautiful thing. That's yeah. such a I'm beautiful thing. I'm having like, fun uh, and I'm I'm working. like having a time in my life right yeah. now and like this is work. Wow, man. Quotations. Yo, anything else that you wanted to say to the people? Yo, thank you. First of all, thank you for the work that you're doing in the community. It's amazing, man. And, yeah, you uh, too, man. You too. You've been putting a lot of people on and giving a lot of people light. And it's a big, it's a big yeah, beautiful thing, man. The things that you're saying in terms of putting on a platform, putting people on, and I, I know exactly what you mean. And just giving this a voice and giving you, letting you... You know, you always putting people on. I want to say, yo, like, check out what Chris is doing with Post I Office. I that, man. Thank you, dude. Uh, what, anything else that you wanted to say? I guess um, this is the thing. Let's just leave them with one more tip. Uh, when an artist, because you're, you're hearing all this heat, they have all this stuff recorded, ready to go. What are the common mistakes artists are doing when their stuff is ready to go and... Where are they? Where are they making those mistakes? The yeah. release strategy. Yeah, like there's an art to release strategy, and artists get like, I mean, there's a thing with timing. Timing comes into play, and you can't let things sit too long. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of artists like 
put precedence on the timing as opposed to like the release strategy. And I feel like release strategy is like super important, like making sure that the right people and the right blogs and stuff are going to take that. And even if it's like, like a PR agent, like if you're planning to like, I don't think you need to release every track either, by the way, like a big release, but you have to, in order to be considered like professional, I guess you have to have some professional releases and like, yeah, that's about... By that, you mean like an email press release? Is that what you mean? Or what are you talking about? Like, you, yeah. like I mean, yeah, like you can do that. You can just like network with bloggers or something like that. But like find somebody who's going to like like premiere your stuff, even if it's a small blog and they just have like a little bit of traction. Like, like coordinate with people. Like figure out like when other people in your community are releasing stuff and try not to like, you know, like like plan something on the same day that they are. And like... Yeah, pay a little bit of money to even like a freelance PR agent because like those, like the freelance PR guys are not expensive for indie artists. Like it's not, but like they'll have like the connection to like Clash or Fader or Noisy or something like that. And like, like everybody has a certain amount of weight that they carry, and seeing what that is in other people and figuring out like where you leave off and they start and that kind of thing is like. A crazy important part and I feel like some artists try to do things too independently or they try to control things too much and they don't take advice sometimes um, or they're too eager and crunched on a timeline that uh, isn't necessarily where they should be putting their emphasis um, I feel like just thinking your release through thinking about the audience you wanted to go to looking at those audiences and seeing um, where they tap into for information and then and then finding a solution with those information givers to, like, disseminate that is, is way better than just <laughs> dropping something on SoundCloud and hoping the numbers go up or dropping it on and then, like, trying to link everybody or something like that. So take the ones you care about and, like, you know, do something proper with them. That's my advice. Preach and listen <laughs> up. I don't know how to end it. Uh, yo, Chris, uh, thank you very much. Um, I guess... You can follow Post Office on social media or yeah, whatever. At, yeah, at Post Office Sound. Yeah. We pretty much run everything through our Instagram. Um, so, yeah, at Post Office Sound. Yo, thank you very much, uh, Chris Martin, on the Come Up Show. I appreciate it, and uh, we check you soon. Appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Chris Martin from Post Office. The one key takeaway that I got from this is if you're trying to make your passion, a thing that you love, you're trying to make it a, a, a reality, a living off it, uh, don't be disheartened because there's more than one way to that path. And I that's the one thing that I got from it, and I would love to know what you got from it. Uh, please send me a tweet at The Come Up Show or email me at info at thecomeupshow.com. I'd love to build with you. Don't be disheartened. Don't give up. There, you can find a way, whether it's to pay your bills and pursue the passion. And this is that's what The Come Up Show podcast is about. I want to inspire y'all. Uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe. Uh, leave a review for us on iTunes. I'd appreciate it. I'll be back next Wednesday. My name is Chetto. Peace. Peace.